Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. I have a topical message this morning. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Genesis. I'll give you a hint. It's the first book in the Bible. <laughs> book of Genesis, chapter 6. We're going to stand and read verses 6 through 11. Uh, but the text is verse 11. So would you please stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse, actually let's begin in verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air. For well, I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Please be seated. Well, in reading that, I would imagine the part about God being regretting he made man. It's not the regret of humans. It's God voicing his opinion on corruption and violence. When you in your life say, you know, this life is so messed up, I can't stand it. Well, God is saying, I'm with you. I understand that. But I have a goal to achieve, and I will achieve it. And my goal is to populate heaven with people who have fallen in love with me sight unseen, but not without evidence. And so that little section, don't be taken by that. It is, not, it is Moses putting into words a sentiment of God that we can understand. The message this morning is entitled, Satan's Global Influence. I want to read the text because that's the flagship verse, the thought that will dominate, hopefully, what uh, I will be speaking on. Verse 11, once again, the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Now, you might want to keep Genesis 6 open because I'm going to refer to it in the first part, uh, well, actually, the second part, but uh, moving forward... I am going to resume attacking the attacker. Uh, this attacker attacks this as in other generations also, but this privileged generation, and I don't mean a certain age group, I mean those who are alive right now. Satan attacks this privileged generation, and this generation is largely and increasingly spiritually misled vulnerable, and insane, spiritually speaking. So, I come to the scripture and I ask for direction about these things, as all Christians do, picking it up in Revelation chapter 11. The nations were angry. You catch that? The nations. This is global. At this point in human history, what Revelation 11 is referring to, it's the world. The world at war with God. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Attacking the attackers. Satan is, of course, behind it all, but he needs people to pull it off, and he finds no shortage. In all of human history, he has never said, huh, I can't find anybody to do evil. At this time, in Genesis 6, in Noah's day, they were all over the place. There were only eight of them. And Satan could not energize. This so-called transgender pandemic, it hides the evil behind the insanity of it all. It's, it's not... You cannot argue with insanity. You can point it out. You can resist it. But you cannot argue with it because by definition, insanity is irrational. 
And then they're not going to reason. Jesus said, cast not pearl before swine. Let they turn and trample you. They're not going to listen to this. Ephesians chapter 6, for those of you who may doubt this thorough charge, because I, I, I want whatever, whoever you hear me preach the word of God, I want them to hear me preach the word of God. Because they get their belly full of hearing devil, the devil preach his word to them in this culture. Ephesians 6, verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age. Paul is saying it's right now. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in spiritual places. The Bible calls it the work of Satan. Now, where we live here in suburban slash rural America, there's not a lot of gang-banging going on. You go into the cities, you'll find it a lot more easily than you will out in the suburbs. But we have teens, we have youth, we have people who are gang-banging for Satan. They're wearing his colors, full rockers. And they don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to be told this. James writes, he says, This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. James 3.15 Yeah, this whole transgender thing, this whole uh, man marrying man, woman marrying woman, this comes straight out of hell. And they don't want to hear you say it. They're offended by you telling them the truth. Because they live for the lie. So what should we do? Curl up in the corner and say, okay, we won't offend you anymore while you're offending us. John 10, verse 10. I hope I, hope I don't... I, I'm passionate about this. Amen. But I'm not unloving. I'm not. But I don't know any other way to, to deal with a monster than straight at him. And this thing is... The, the, these Satan is getting away with luring our children away. Luring our people away. Jesus said the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Is there anyone here that does not believe what Jesus said? I think there might be. And if they're not here now, they'll be here later. At some point, there are people who will hear these words that go to church and don't believe. And you can tell by the things that they are attracted to, the things that they say, the lifestyle that they want. The thief... Jesus speaks of is Satan and he steals souls and he does it straight out. In Noah's day, there was one family in those violent and dirty times who stood against the world. They saw the same things we see, but worse. That society, that culture, they resisted. They stood against it and they stood for God. In Genesis 6, verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Yet for all of Noah's preaching, with the ark as his pulpit, not one convert, not one. Neither he nor his righteous seven, his family, his wife and his sons and their, their, the sons' wives, they could not lead one soul to salvation. That's how far gone Noah's generation was from God. That's how possible it is for an entire generation to be against God. They were mean, they were dirty, and they were spiritually insane. Summed up by our Lord in this text from Luke, and our Lord, he sums up the days of Noah, but he applies them to the future. I believe the time that we're entering right now are these days that he is referring to. Luke chapter 17. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Did you catch that distinction? They married wives and were given in marriage. God instituted marriage. But there's a redundancy and a distinction here. Why would he have to say if they married wives, which means the wives married the men, 
Why would he also say they were given in marriage? I suggest to you that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was telling us that 2,000 years later you will see perversity of marriage. They will be given each other in marriage. In addition to men marrying wives, there will be marriages, not just engagements. And we're seeing that in our generation. We're seeing men and women of the same sex marrying each other, as it was in the days of Moses, now of Noah. And we're not told about sexual perversity in the days of Noah, but we have no reason to doubt it was not there because it is always present whenever there is a culture against God. And so Jesus marks this out for us. How was it in Noah's day? Human-centered, God-excluded. That characterized the day of Noah. Not only rejecting God, but hostile towards him. Again, the text Verse 11 of Genesis 6, the earth was also corrupt before God, right in front of his eyes. And the earth was filled with violence. Yet Noah survived that violence because God was with him. Only a brief description we get concerning the widespread evil and the fighting. But how telling it is. It's all that needs to be said. It doesn't need to be much more to that. Verse 5 again in Genesis 6. And the Lord saw the wickedness of man, that it was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. The adjectives reveal the fullness of their depravity. Great, every, only, continually. All about evil. Great in the earth was the wickedness of man. Every intent of his thoughts, of his heart, was only evil all the time, continually. You tell me if we're not moving in this direction again as a planet. I mean, it's always been in pockets here and there, but now we have a, the planet is moving in this direction together, just like it was in the days of Noah. Just like it was in the, at the time that the Tower of Babel was constructed. The wickedness of man was great. That's his outward condition. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart, only evil continually. That's the inward character. So the people outwardly, they were wicked. And inwardly, in their heart, they were evil continually, nonstop, in the presence of God. Flagrant sin, that's one, one thing, bad enough. Flaunted sin, it's even worse. The perversion of righteousness paraded. Sin is most certainly punishable. And that's what the youth need to understand. You are going to be held accountable to this life. This is worse than mere weakness in sin. To parade it, to flaunt it, is worse than just struggling with it. God struggles with anyone on their behalf who is struggling with sin. Where sin abounded, grace did much more. He tells us straight out, I'll work with you. But... What he will not do is if you reject him and parade forward in your sin, march forward in your sin, do not expect God to wink a condoning eye at that. I read this in a Christian post just this week concerning this weekend. Hundreds of Satanists are preparing to attend SatanCon 2023 in Boston, Massachusetts this weekend. A sold-out event hosted by a group known for making fun of Christians and theologically conservative beliefs. Many of those gathered are likely to display their support for abortion as the Satanic Temple promotes what is called abortion rituals. Actually, that word abortion is a misnomer. It should be murder of the unborn. The group has filed legal challenges against state restrictions on legal access to murdering the unborn, arguing that abortion is a religious right. You see, now they can all talk to each other. You know, remember when uh, the people were sent to penitentiaries for, you can't call them penitentiaries anymore. Yeah, I don't know what you call them. 
But anyway, you sent them off to prison, and you'd have the, the, those who committed crimes locked in with others who committed crimes. They'd swap notes, and they'd get a formal education in crime. And many of them would come out of the, the prisons and back into the world wiser in the things of evil than they were when they went in because they got to swap notes. They got to, change, to exchange ideas and thoughts. That's what's happening globally now because of the Internet mainly. Now, there are good things about the Internet, of, of course, but this is the bad thing that we're talking about, or at least I am talking about. So there they are up in Massachusetts this weekend celebrating the loser. Anything to thumb their nose at God. They don't adore Satan. They just hate God. And in so doing, they become lovers of Satan. God defied, the flesh defiled, and the passions, the passions of sin, hijacking society. We're watching this happen. We try to insulate ourselves against it. Very difficult. The tragedy of Noah's day was not that the people would cease to live, but they weren't unfit to continue to live in God's eyes. In Noah's day, though not explicitly stated, as I mentioned earlier, strongly implied man was centralized, not spread out throughout the planet. The language does speak about the, them on the earth, but it, does, it doesn't seem they're really spread out, and there are indicators of that. In Genesis 11, at the time of Babel, after the flood... And God said to go out and fill all the earth. And they, did, they really stayed together. Genesis 11, 1. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And then verse 6. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. And they all have one language. And this is what they began to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. So God is saying, I saw what men were doing at Babel. They were getting together. And they were getting together against me. And they were building things, they were accomplishing things as humans can without me. And if this goes unchecked, society will not survive. Well, the Tower of Babel is rebuilt in the Internet. People of, people of all language and all places can now communicate very easily again, unlike ever before, since, well, unlike since the Tower of Babel was destroyed. Mankind is now global, marching to the same cadence. So God decentralized man because of what they were doing, gathering together against God, ganging up against God. But the next time, God's not going to decentralize them. He's going to return. And when he returns, then he will sort out the wicked from the righteous, those who get to continue and those who don't. In Genesis eleven eight, 8, we read, so the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. So God bought time for humanity to continue so that he could populate heaven. So again, God wants to be loved. God loves, and he wants to be loved. But he's not going to compromise himself. And I did not say God needs to be loved. He does not need to be loved. God is complete. But it is something he desires. And you know, we, of course, we love God. We sing to him. We worship him. We want others to love him. And we know the beauty of it all. And so here we are almost there again with this Tower of Babel. Two road markers to tell us for sure that the end of the end is upon us. And the two markers are first Israel. You cannot have the revelation of Jesus Christ and the other prophetic word throughout Scripture, especially the prophets like Ezekiel and Isaiah concerning the kingdom age. You cannot have these prophecies fulfilled without Israel being a nation. Well, Israel is a nation. And that in itself is a miracle and a sermon all by itself. You can do a series on that. But what is the other one? What is the other feature that tells us that we are here at the end? This critical element that belongs to this age we live in um, with Israel. And that is globalization. You cannot fulfill the prophecies of Genesis, the great tribulation prophecies, without globalization. Without all of the achievements that men have, have made in this life, in this world. I want to back up a little bit. Well... Um, 
let me pause, make sure I'm not missing anything. The two road markers, as I told you, Israel and globalization, the fulfillment necessary, global sin, flagrant sin, flaunted sin, perverted and promoted. We see people quick to support that which God has condemned and to condemn anybody who dares disagree. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But sin, again, most certainly punishable. Contrast to all of this wickedness that was taking place in the days of Noah, we find Noah's grace. This is very significant to me. Genesis 6, verse 8, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There is nothing greater in life than to find God's grace. There is nothing greater to you than to find that God forgives you and receives you. Salvation is what, we're, what I'm talking about. To find yourself loved by God in spite of your sin. You can't top that. How do you beat that? You cannot. And God placed this man, Noah, in the midst of that dirty and violent generation to offer grace. That's what his job was. God could have provided him other means of escape from the flood. But he wanted him to build an ark and to take the time. Because it took 120 years to build the ark. Second Peter chapter 2. It says, God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And there you have the offer of salvation, the preacher of righteousness, and the flood, the judgment of God. And so there, the Bible clearly says, Noah was preaching in his day. And he preached the righteousness of God. The ark as his pulpit. It could not be ignored. You could not ignore the ark. But they found a way to do it anyway. Grace was offered even to those who helped build the ark. There is no way eight people could have built that ark. It would be, be some, might as well believe in magic. The genius of God, though. And they rejected this grace. Every nail driven, every foot of the ark that was completed gave space for the workers to repent. Gave them time. Noah's laborers were finally destroyed outside the ark, which they helped to construct. The madness of it all. They thought Noah was insane, out of his mind. The prophets were not out to change the world. They were out to reach souls, lost souls, to snatch them out of the world, as many as they could. The prophets of Israel tried to grab the whole kingdom, the whole nation of the Jews. Jesus said, I've manifested your name to men whom you have given me out of the world. And events show that they thought Noah was silly and insane. The Bible doesn't have to say they thought him silly and insane. The events demonstrated. Sure, Noah, here's your ark. Go in. We don't need one. You need to have one. And it should be padded on the inside. That's what they felt. Well, who's the crazy one? Hosea chapter 9, verse 7. The prophet writes, The days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel knows. The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is insane because of the greatness of your iniquity and the great enmity. This is a juicy verse. I've wanted to preach on this verse. In fact, this was the verse I was going to preach on, but it was moved into the direction of Genesis, which I do not... Regret, and I, I'm quite pleased that God has allowed me to put it into this message. Hosea was describing the false estimate of the prophets held by the people who did not want to hear what the prophets had to say. The days of punishment have come, he's telling them. The days of judgment, they have come. You know, Israel knows. Then he says, but the, the prophet's a fool. The spiritual man, he's insane. So who believes the judgment's coming? All of which did happen, just as Hosea called it. And he says, because of the greatness of your iniquity and the great war you have with God. That's why you think the prophet is a fool and that the prophet is insane. You may have the, may the old King James, for example, may say the prophet is mad, not angry mad. The prophet is silly. The prophet is a kook. That's the idea. And Hosea had to live through that. It was their loss of spiritual discernment that got them to make, got them to make, call, caused them to make such an estimate of these righteous men 
due to their unfriending God. And the youth, everything I'm saying applies to the adults and it applies to you. You're in a rush to be treated like an adult? Well, you're being treated like one. You're getting the truth. You're being told what Satan is trying to do to you. And uh, I, I see so many of our youth falling for it, flirting with sin, tinkering with it as though it's not going to bite them. It always bites, every time. The people in the days of Hosea did not want the prophets to be right because of their war with God. Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, because the carnal mind is warring against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. That person that is not right with God is going to be at war with him, and it can be no other way. And there are various degrees of this, of course. There's the one that says a decent moralist, but he still wants nothing to do with Jesus Christ. He is at war with Christ. And here is the reason they mocked the prophets as silly and insane. Hosea tells us in the 10th chapter, you have plowed in wickedness. What a picture. You're plowing in wickedness. He says, you have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way in the multitude of your mighty men. The things that appeal to you at the cost of the things that appeal to God. Consider the insults the prophets had to endure and the source. What, tell me something, Pastor, about the people who insulted the prophets, called them insane, called them silly. About the people who worked on the ark and laughed at Noah and his family. Well, Isaiah gives us a glimpse because Isaiah, incidentally, was contemporary with Hosea. And these men were no different from Noah in his days. We read in Isaiah 8, he tells us about the people. He says, and when they say to you, here's the seduction. Here's the people seducing the Jewish people to leave Yahweh and follow the demonic gods that of, of man's creations. He says, when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter. And then the response of the prophet which is totally sane. Should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? So these are the people insulting the prophets, the ones who sought the wizards, the ones who had seances, the ones who wanted some spiritual contact with anything or anyone except Yahweh, the only true God. And the time of judgment was now upon them. And they were fast approaching the point of no return where no more prophets could be sent. The dark alternative to grace is judgment. And that judgment carries wrath. And that wrath is the wrath of God, and it cannot be measured. Hosea told them that because they hate Yahweh and love their own way, they attack the prophets. That's what he was saying. This is what you're telling. You're telling, we're the crazy ones. And really, he is asking, who truly is the one that is out of their mind? And it's the same today. Do you think the transgender group is calling you sane for not accepting their insanity? It's the other way around. They're the ones that have departed from a sane mind. And they have all of these arguments that are just so stupid. They don't merit a response. You'd be casting pearl before swine. Accept this response judgments upon you. You have a choice. And if you don't make it quickly, you're going to be given over to your own passions and lusts, and then it will be too late. The people in the days of Noah, they identified with all that God disliked. So they disliked God. Are we seeing this today? I identify with this. Well, you ain't identifying with Jesus Christ but yet you want to be considered a churchgoer. You want to be considered a decent person. You want to be considered someone who should be listened to. And not stopping there, they began to like those who like God. This was the case with Micaiah the prophet. This is the story of Jehoshaphat, the righteous king, who had buddied up with Ahab, the unrighteous king. And they had gone out to war. This is when the unrighteous king said to the good king, here, put on your godly robes with the bullseye on it, and I'll dress in camouflage, and let's go out to battle. 
Well, Jehoshaphat found himself surrounded. They, the, the enemies thought, hey, this is the king of Israel who we're after, and they realize he's not, and Jehoshaphat calls out to God. But before all of that, because Jehoshaphat gets saved, the, the bad king does not. Before all of that, the two kings uh, decided, well, there needs to be a, a blessing on us before we go to war. So the bad king called all of his false prophets and they said, you're going to destroy the enemy and this and that. And Jehoshaphat, being a good king, we pick it up in Second Chronicles 18. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, well, I'm sorry, I need to give you a little bit more background. So the bad king has his false prophets come and the good king says, is there not a prophet of Yahweh? Is there not a prophet of the God whom I serve? And that's when the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man by whom we may inquire of Yahweh. You can hear his tone. Yeah, there's still one. But I hate him. That's what it says. And what I'm, what I'm trying to say to you, those who dislike God will dislike God's people. And he continues, I hate him because he never prophesies good concerning me. <laughs> Why not? If you do good, will, not, will you not be blessed? Anyway, he continues, he says, because he never prophesied good concerning me, but always evil. Yeah, because you're evil. That's why. He is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. Don't say such things about this man of God. And so we see that there's nothing new under the sun. This is the case today. With those who are not only transgender, possessed by that, but possessed by other evil thoughts against Christ. We, have to we must, as Christians, we must maintain intolerance without contempt for the individual. And that's a lot of work. It's impossible without the Spirit. This infuriates Satan even more. When you are loving and stand your ground, you will infuriate the enemy even more. Nothing is new. A thousand years have passed, or thousands of years have passed, since the days of Genesis and the days of the prophets, Hosea, Isaiah. Conditions are a thousand times better for us in life, or different, I should say. But human nature is exactly the same. Human nature has been the same since the fall in the Garden of Eden. It has gone unchanged. Mothers and fathers are still having broken hearts. As they did in the days of Noah, so in the days now. As they did in the days of Adam. Well, do you think it broke the heart of Adam and Eve when Cain killed his brother, their son? One son killing another son? Relationships struggled in those days, they struggle today. As they did it with Cain and Abel, so they do today. The, very, the prophet Hosea had a wife who loved lots of other men. The war continues. Bible teachers are still called silly and insane. To this very day, we are called silly. And I'm gonna, I, I enjoy this part. Having or showing a lack of common sense or judgment, to be absurd, to be foolish, that's supposed to be us for preaching God's word. Jesus said, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And he called out, Jesus, of course, called out the generation that he lived in, as the prophets have in every generation that they found themselves. But here's the thing. Isaiah the prophet calls out the, the, the politicians and the people of his day. He said in Isaiah 28, drunkards of Ephraim will be trampled underfoot. They didn't care for that. And then Isaiah logs for us what their response was in the middle of his message. He tells us they mocked him, they taunted him, they laughed at him for his Bible teaching, for his verse by verse, his expositional teaching. Teaching. They said, the mockers, that it was for children, not for adults, and certainly not for those in politics. And so we read, Isaiah says, this is their response. Whom will he teach knowledge? They're saying this to Isaiah. And whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk? That's little children. Those just drawn from breast? For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Here a little, there a little. See, they're mocking him. 
It's saying he teaches, these men of God teach the word precept upon precept, line upon line. They teach God's word. These guys come along and say, ooh, you're teaching God's word expositionally, verse by verse, book by book. Ooh, we're supposed to be impressed by you, Isaiah. Nothing new under the sun. Attempts were made to silence Jeremiah the prophet, outlawing his opposition through preaching God's word. They wanted him arrested as a madman. Jeremiah 29. Yahweh has, this is, this is the evil, this is the evil politician saying this about Jeremiah. The Lord has made you priest instead of Jehoiada, the priest, so that there should be officers in the house of Yahweh over men, every man, who is demented and considers himself a prophet, that you should put him in prison and in stocks. Now, therefore, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who makes himself a prophet to you? The odd thing is, everything Jeremiah said came, came true. His prophecies stood. But this wicked man, he died. But there he is saying, you've been given authority by God to silence these crazy prophets who say they're prophets, but they're not. Why haven't you arrested him? He points out the town that Jeremiah was from, just so there'd be no confusion about what man he was talking about. They accused Jesus of having a demon and being insane at the same time. John chapter 10, verse 20, And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad, as in crazy. Why do you listen to him? Satan still says that. Satan still says the thing that is said in the scripture that he says. Leave us alone, Jesus. What do we have to do with you? I have some encouragements, hopefully, towards the end, towards the moms and dads and the youth that have to face these things. But what is insanity? What is madness? In experience, it is holding a false view, a lie, as though it were the truth. It is a false view of reality, not interested in reality at the same time. It produces wildness of words and action. Our children seem, some of them, not all of them, thank you, Lord, seem to think it is better to be considered cool than crazy for Christ. That's something we should talk to them about. They charged the Wesley brothers, John and Charles Wesley, who were part of the Great Awakening in Europe, in England. In fact, John Wesley... Uh, likely saved England from a civil war. And incredible, both of them, incredible men of God, well, they charged both of them with insanity. When they came back from America and they had the spiritual experience, these two men, uh, of an emotional Holy Spirit experience, well, they charged them with being crazy. (laughs) Charles and John, they wrote a hymn on that. Fools and madmen, let us be, yet it is our sure trust in thee. Fine. You think we're crazy? Have, have to have at it. When, when Paul stood before Felix, or before he stood before, well, Felix, yeah. Festus, sorry. They both have an F in front of their name, and I was just going to, anyway. Of course, they accused him of being crazy. Paul's response was, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. That's what Hosea was saying. That's what Isaiah was saying. That is what Noah did. Speak the words of truth and reason. And we're told in the scripture to speak the truth in love. And love means you're looking out for the other one as best that you you can. Moses told the world, get lost. Hebrews 11, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses was not interested in being applauded by the world or being viewed as being cool and acceptable. You know what a diddy bop is? A diddy bop is is an adjusted gait, a walk. And it says to everybody, I'm not only cool, but I can fight. Uh, And and it may be true, but it's not always true. And it's this this kind of walk that reveals that the individual is actually very insecure. In in certain neighborhoods, it is um, a defense mechanism. 
If you walk the wrong way, you can invite trouble. So we have this idea of wanting to appeal to the wrong people the wrong way. There is a way to appeal to wrong people, and that is with truth and love. And the coolness that our youth seeks, many of them seek to gain, the acceptance they want from those who do not love the Lord is a seduction. And so I would have some questions because I have found out that everyone is determining their own destiny by how they treat Jesus Christ. You are determining your own future by how you treat the Christ. Isaiah 65, God says, I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. Man, the Bible gets it right all the time. This is exactly what we face in our generation. When one falls out of love with truth, they fall in love with lies. It is a default. Once you've rejected Christ, you start receiving any other wacky, unfounded thing that is out there based on your feelings. So a question to the child raised to love Christ, but loving the lure of the world instead Why don't you love Jesus Christ? You love yourself. Why don't you love your maker also? Proof that you love yourself is you care what other people think about you. You're selective ones, perhaps, but you still care. Why are you so chummy with a world that hates the Christ that died for you? Ephesians 5. I know. You quote these scripture verses and you think that they're not achieving anything. Don't give up. That is not automatically true. Ephesians 5, 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of of disobedience. There is a cost to rejecting Christ. Why not make a choice to stand for Christ instead? 1 Corinthians 16, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. What is wrong with encouraging our youth to be strong in the face of this perverse generation? Or any generation? Not since the Tower of Babel have youth faced such an onslaught, a global onslaught. It used to be localized, now it's everywhere. The temptation, the perversity, it's out loud. James 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? It's war with God. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And there are people in the church that say, you know, quoting these verses to them is inflammatory. Quoting these verses to them is not loving. So withholding scripture from them is? These are people that have high positions in churches. John chapter 3, verse 36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He does not believe in the Son, does not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Like you're wearing it. Why are you falling for the same delusion that Satan fell for? And that delusion was this, I don't need God. Acts chapter 2, now we come to Felix. This is when Paul had reasoned with Felix as best he could. It says, now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. See, this is is the template for we Christians. How do we face these things? We continue to preach the word of God. What is the alternative? What is the alternative to not preaching the word of God? It's putting a gag order on your Bible. It's putting a gag order on truth. You can't mention. Evil can say whatever it wants to say, but you can't say anything. And it is heartbreaking to see people in the church, in churches, some of them, trying to tell us that these things are, you know, just making matters worse. They're not very loving. They are absolutely loving. Paul was totally loving when he reasoned about self-control and judgment to come and righteousness. What, hate was his motive? It says Felix was afraid. He was convicted. He had no no out. He couldn't say anything against this. And answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Of course, he was a corrupt man. And he kept Paul in in prison so he could, hoping to get money from Paul. 
It never happened. Neither do we know that Felix was ever saved. So my question to the youth, are you Felix? Can I call you Felix? If you're doing these things, I don't mean Felix the cat. I mean this Felix in the scripture. Are you one of those that have heard about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, and you don't want to hear anymore? The New Testament is just as serious about judgment against those who are at war with God as the old. Colossians 3, 6, Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. You say, well, what if my child is this way? You continue to love your child. Try to be there as much as you can. But when it comes, when it comes to dialogue, to your lifestyle, you better be standing strong or you're going to get sucked down with them. You want to love your child? Continue to pray. Continue to serve. Because you do not get the outcome that you look for from prayer and service does not mean that God is displeased with you. In fact, it was the other way around. Paul got a lot of things. You know, I was thinking this week, Paul said five times I suffered shipwreck. And there was at least one more coming after he wrote that. Five times I've suffered shipwreck. How many times have you had relationships that have suffered shipwreck? Because that apostle had tons of relationships that suffered shipwreck. A boat going to the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea was not his worst problem. He survived those. He also survived relationships that suffered, metaphorically, the shipwreck. Are you hiding from God is another question I would like to ask those who are raised in a Christian home and are turning against God. Adam hid from God. After he sinned, Genesis 3, verse 8, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh among the trees of the garden. They thought that this would work. Their understanding of God was defective. They thought God did not know everything, that he couldn't see beyond this. There they were, and they were caught. Do you love what God hates, is the question to our youth. Do you love what God hates, or do you hate what God loves? Again, Hosea chapter 9. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. In other words, God said, I had such hope in you. I had such desire for you. I gave you so much. I expected you to respond to the, that grace. But... They went to Baal Peor and separated themselves to shame. They became an abomination like the thing they loved. Hosea is writing about behavior of the Jews centuries earlier in the days of Moses. When they were brought out of Egypt, they saw, they saw the miracles. They saw God provide for them. And yet they turned to fake gods, nonetheless. Do you hear God's love for you? God is not ever surprised. Period. He's not surprised by our weakness. He has made serious plans to help us through our weakness. But he is determined to stand against all evil, and should we not be the same? Genesis 4, he said this to Cain after Cain killed his brother. Or, not yet, but when Cain was angry. If you do well, will you not be accepted and if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. I mean, at least resist it, Cain, which he did not do. Cain only thought for himself. I'm almost done. And so to the strong youth, to those parents who are strong in Christ, and you have to endure these things, trusting God for the outcome, do not cave in to anyone at any time, not even yourself. Especially your peers. For you teens, don't cave into other teens who are not walking with Christ. Why should you? Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. You're either going to rumble or you're going to crumble. That's what it comes down to. You're either going to fight these things or you're going to surrender to them. There's glory in overcoming the evil that you face. Philippians 2. That you may become blameless and harmless. Blameless does not mean without sin. That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. How do you know that that 
teen or that youth or that other person who is sinning, who you are standing up against their, their sin, how do you know that standing against their perversity may lead to their salvation? It, it just might. And that's what Paul is saying to the Philippians. Children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Well, a light shines to show the way in the world. In the end, the world will have to be destroyed. The world system is going to die. And I'll close with this verse. 2 Peter chapter 3. But the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. That's what the Bible says. He's talking about that world system that has been hijacked by Satan. It is now global. We're getting towards the end. The Bible prophecies are becoming increasingly obvious to those who believe. And it is our job to help those who don't believe. Let's pray. Our Father, how do we communicate? It just seems so often that the truth is not sufficient. We tell them the truth. There's nothing they can say about it, as, as with Felix, and yet they don't come to you. May you find our response to this a greater dependence on you, a greater trust in you, a stronger desire to be like Jesus Christ rather than caving in, rather than losing faith or losing ground. May you find us defiant against all those things that are an abomination to you. And in the midst of these things, may you give us the ability to speak the truth in love, no matter what. If you've been listening or if you're here this morning and you've not opened your heart to Christ, the wrath of God is upon you. But you have an opportunity to have him remove the judgment that awaits the guilty. If you make this confession, Christ will receive you. This is what he promises to do. All those who come to me, I will not cast out, he says. If you open your heart and you say, Lord Jesus, I am a lawbreaker. I break your laws. That makes me a sinner. Regardless how good or bad others may be, I have broken your law and I ask you to forgive me and I come to you and I ask that from this day forward you would be the one that saves me from the wrath to come and that you become the Lord over my life. Now, Lord, if anyone has made this prayer in earnest, may they not ever back away from it. May they be eager to make their confession known. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.